The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. Now we are in John chapter 8. Before we start, I have to address an issue. Because some of you are going to accuse me of skipping part of the Bible. Okay? I need to discuss with you why I am not addressing 753 through 811, known as the woman caught in adultery. So I'm not going to try to be overly academic here, but I want you to understand before I start reading what I'm going to read, which is, which is 752, jump to 812, down to 24. Um, first of all, our oldest manuscripts of the New Testament of John do not contain this parochopy, this section. All right? I can go through all the papyri if you want. I don't think you do. Oh, and I had it on a flash drive, and actually an image was called Papyri 66, and I labeled the verse in Greek. It's old papyri, and you could see where it just goes from there to there. All right? And, and so... What we do have of those documents, old documents, we don't see this parochopy showing up here particularly until the 4th century A.D. We do have some testament to it in the 3rd century by early church fathers. In the sense they might refer to it in some way. Okay? But we don't find it actually in the text. And people can debate that. If you want particular reading on that, because some of you might, the, a purpose who want, tends to argue for its insertion in this place is uh, Rogers and Farstead in New Testament according to the majority text. Second edition, Nashville, 1985. Okay, I actually have that. I actually had a PDF. Um, I can't share it with you because of copyright issues, but if you want to read that. One that tends to say, mm, you probably shouldn't be here in this spot, uh, Bruce Medzger in the textual commentary of the Greek New Testament, second edition, 2006. Okay, so I've done significant reading on this. Um, the historical evidence, that's why I refer to those fathers. As a matter of fact, it shows up in the Latin church fathers of that 4th century, 3rd century. Only one Greek one. And that's Didymus the Blind. Anyway, I don't know, you don't know who he is. Um, all right? But then there's internal evidence. That is, um, every verse but verse 5 in this particular section, the vocabulary is found nowhere else in the book of John. So in other words, John just changes all the words he uses right there. Okay? And then there's this whole idea of the flow, and you'll see what I mean by that when I, how verse 12 flows right with 752 and people goes boom, boom, right to it. Okay. But when, when they do look at these old documents, the story, and the ones that the story is in, several, the story's not here. Some have it at the end of Luke, some have it at the end of John, some have it in other places of John. So most scholars, and I am one of them, this is a biblical true story, okay? It's just where it fit into the context, they're not certain, 
Okay? So once we get to, and, and Papyrus 66 in particular covers most of the book of John. We have Papyrus for most of the book of John, and this isn't in there. Okay? But it could have been at the end or at the end of Luke on that one. All right? But it doesn't seem to fit perfectly, or I even think very well. In this particular, it sort of jumps, and you'll see why I say that in this section. We will address it, just not right here. Okay, I'm not saying it's not Scripture. Don't do that. What I'm saying is I don't think it fits here, and it isn't just because I don't think so. We have all kinds of those other evidences, okay? And particularly, that flow deals with, is the Messiah from Galilee, all right? And direct links between 815, 727 and 28, 821 with 733 and 36. They're very linked together, almost the same wording. But in the middle of this, you have this thing where they change all the words. So now we will read the text again. John 7:52. Then we jump to, actually, I'll start in verse 50 to give it a context. And then we'll jump to chapter 8. Verse 12, John 7, starting in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, remember that was John 3, who was one of them, that is the scribes and the Pharisees, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, that is the scribes and the Pharisees, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. All right? So just right here, it says everybody goes home, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, and then you have the story of the woman caught in adultery. Right? But you'll see the flow. And again, now in verse 12 of chapter 8, again Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself, so your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. That's directly linked to chapter 7, 27 and verses 27 and 28. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the, uh, that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and my Father who sent me bears witness to me. And they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury, or the court of women, as he taught in the temple, But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come, a direct statement from chapter 7. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. A direct statement from chapter 7, verse 33 and 36. And you will die in your sins. Where I am going, you cannot come. Hmm. 
So Jesus, they, the Jews said, so will he kill himself? And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you you will die in your sin unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins, you may be seated. <coughs> so those of you that have been in Wednesday night Bible studies, which doesn't start back up till September, I'm going to make a few what's called inductive observations, not very many, just a few for you to get a grasp of some things that happens here. First of all, Jesus uses the first person pronoun, I, me, myself, so on, 49 times in this chapter. What's the focus of this chapter? Jesus, unless you believe I am he, he's the focus. But he also refers to the Father 11 times. There are themes here in chapter 8 that are found throughout John's gospel. For example, when Jesus talks about he does nothing on his own authority, he's talked about that idea 10 other times into the gospel, in the gospel of John. Then this idea of a testimony, this is the testimony of John. That's back in chapter 1. 14 times, in particular, chapter 1, 3, and 5. This idea that Jesus is the light of the world, of course, that's in chapter 1, 2. There's 14 times that this theme is in John. This is the big one, though. The one who sent me. That is 34 times in the book of John. Jesus wanted everyone to know who sent him. These themes are strong here in chapter 8. They're themes that are throughout the book of John. Okay? Now, why do I bring these observations up? Because I think it's important when we look at a text, we also look at it in its whole. What's the main point? So one of the things John always says, and this sign, and this sign, and this. So there are these seven signs he gives to support the witness of Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, and John the Baptist. Okay? And, and the key to that is that the Father has sent Jesus. Okay? So we can look at those as a whole as we break these down a piece at a time. So we begin again in 750 where Nicodemus, who's one of the Pharisees. Now, the, let me give that in context, though. Okay? Um, these people were wanting to arrest Jesus, have him killed because of his claims. They sent some soldiers to arrest him. This, they don't because this guy says amazing things. Okay? And right here, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, which the uh, room, I'll call that, the, the, the room that the Pharisees, the, the Sanhedrin would meet in, is just up the stairs from the court of women. So if you're in this court of women where the treasury is, there's all these offerings where most likely Jesus saw the woman put the widow mites in. You go up these 15 stairs, and just to the left is this room where the Sadducees, or excuse me, the Sanhedrin, would meet. Thus, the scribes and the Pharisees are there. Even if they're not sitting right in front of them, they could hear him. We've talked about that before, okay? And so, they're, why aren't you guys arresting him? And that's where Nicodemus says, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't just convict a guy. You have a hearing and have witnesses. And they said to this, are you from Galilee too? Why did they say that? If you recall the context, up at chapter 7, 
41 and 43 that the people are hearing about Jesus. They're in consternation about who he is. And they're going, wait a minute, he's from Galilee. And the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. He comes from the city of David. And Jesus goes, uh, you think you know where I come from, but you really don't. Both heavenly and naturally, they didn't know that he was actually born in Bethlehem. They just seen him coming from Nazareth. That's why they look at Nicodemus. Are you a Galilean too? So they haven't put the connection together that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Okay? But as I pointed out before, they should have because of Isaiah chapter 9. You know chapter 9 from Chris, from Chris. That's chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a Savior is given. And yada, yada, and came on his shoulders, and he'll sit on his throne of his father David. Right? You've seen that on the Christmas cards if you don't read it. You forget that in the first part, verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 9, in earlier times he treated the land of Zerubbabel, the land of Nephetary, which is Galilee. Okay? He will make it glorious by way of the sea on the side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now listen carefully. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. So the context in chapter 8 here of Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, is them thinking that that guy doesn't come from Galilee. You see how I, that, this part of 8 and 7 is very tied together. So Jesus once again says to them, all right, again Jesus spoke to them saying, now listen, you're supposed to know the scripture, guys. I am that light of the world, if I can say it like that. Whoever follows me, listen, will not walk in darkness. Let me say this again. I'm going to go back to Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness, Jesus says, these people won't walk in darkness. He's saying he is the one that Isaiah spoke of. All right? This is where I, I would suggest that that parochopy about the woman caught in adultery sort of just throws this whole thing in a mess, in a sense. I mean, we, you can still work it, but Jesus is still referring to what was happening right before that. According to this, the portion of a woman called it's it says and the, the feast is over everybody went home jesus goes to the mount of olives the next day he comes in if we if we put that aside he's continuing the conversation he's been having so he spoke to them again about where he's from okay but we'll have the light of life okay so Jesus is again responding to their confusion about where he's from. Okay, This is one of the, the second of seven I am's. Now, Jesus says, says different things. He uses the, the phrase I am, but there's a particular Greek and Hebrew syntax in which this takes place that we know a difference between he's saying I am, okay, and then an, I am six feet tall. We don't know how tall he was, but I'm using that for an example. Okay, or I am hungry. He's not using, he's not calling on the, the name at that point of Jehovah of the Old Testament. Here he is. We saw it earlier when he says, I am the bread of life. Now he is the light of life. 
There he was, the bread of life. Remember the problem they had when he was talking about that? Hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, oh, I don't like that, I'm leaving. Okay, let me suggest it, and I suggested when we read it. What he means, it's, it's all or nothing when it comes to me. You can't halfway do it. You've got to participate completely with me, okay? So now he's saying he is the light of life. Again, we want to think, as you heard me talk to the kids, that eternal life. But it's more than that because he uses the word walk. That's what you're doing right now. Walk was an idiom euphemism for living, being. If you walk in the flesh, you don't walk in the spirit, Paul uses the same thing. Okay? So, so that's the idea. This is not just speaking about some eternal life. If you walk in the light, you're not walking in darkness. If you're living in the light, you're not living in the darkness. And I am that life for men, humanity. We'll get to 1 John 1, 5, who says God is light. We'll go to that, and it does use the word walk again. All right, so we get to verse 14, okay, because these people are claiming, he's t- you're the light of life. Well, that's you. you. You just say that. That was verse 13, okay? You're very witness to yourself. Your testimony isn't true. Just because you say you're the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy doesn't make it so. You can say that, but there's nobody to prove it. That's what they're saying. We've already ran into this in chapter 5. Okay. Jesus answered, even if I, don't, if I do bear witness to myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I'm from or where I'm going. So again, in chapter 5, Jesus did this. They, they claimed the same thing when he claimed to be God and they wanted to kill him. He presents witnesses on his behalf. He says, man, you, you, you can't convict me on one witness. You've got to have more. And he goes through his witnesses, John the Baptist, his works done by the authority of God, and then the Father's own testimony, particularly in relation to his baptism. This is my son. And who, okay, so, so I've got three witnesses. But what's interesting here is when he first starts out, he says, if I bear witness myself, it is true. Even if I don't have other witnesses. Why? Because I know who I am. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. That's why he could say, I am, the tetragrammaton, the, the I am of Exodus, the light of the world. That's why he can say that. Now, these guys don't catch it. You notice they don't confront that like earlier. Okay. But he's already mentioned his witnesses here. I know who I am, and what I'm saying is true. There are many people who want to say many things that Jesus said about himself simply isn't true. So they have a hard time. Well, I could believe there was this guy that came along, but this claiming to be the same with God the Father. I, I don't buy that. Remember, that's why these people are wanting to kill him. He made himself equal with God. That was chapter 5. Okay? They want to kill him. He goes to Galilee, spends a good amount of time, more than a year in Galilee, comes back, right? He comes back for this festival, so he's back here. 11 months, I think, is the total time. 
I know where I come from and where I'm going. Jesus said that same thing in chapter 7, 27 and 28. And where I'm going, you can't go. Well, what does he mean by that? Is he, is he going out to the Gentiles? This time they say, yeah, maybe he's thinking about knocking himself off, killing himself. They don't get it. All right? You don't really know where I came from. Now, Jesus knows where he came from both. He literally knows he was born in Bethlehem, the physical side. I, I know you guys are confused because you think the, the Messiah, the Mashiach, comes only from the city of David. You, you're missing the whole Isaiah thing, and you don't know I was born there. He knows that, so that he knows. But he also knows his origin, ultimate origin, in eternity past in the glory of his Father. You judge according to the flesh, verse 15, and I judge no one. Please don't let anybody take that out of context. Well, Jesus didn't judge people. Jesus, I judge no one. You can't judge me. Ah, no, no, you got to put it what he's saying. I don't judge you by myself. Yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for, I, for it is not I alone who judge, but my Father who sent me. Okay. So he might be testifying about himself, but he's not testifying by himself alone. The Father testifies. The one who sent me also says what I'm saying, if you will, is true. So I got two witnesses. I'm not, he's not going through that whole thing of all the witnesses before. All right? But when I say it, it isn't just me saying it. When I say it, the Father's saying it. Now you know why these guys contend. Now notice Jesus only tends to do that with the scribes and the Pharisees. When he was there in chapter 5, he does it, okay? He doesn't do this to the crowd so much, but he tends to do it to these religious people claiming this equality, okay? Verse 19, and they said, therefore, so their response to this, well, okay, who's your pop? That's my paraphrase. Who is your father? Now listen to this indictment, though. You know neither me nor my father. Let me put it this way. If you don't know who I am, you sure don't know who the father is. If you knew me, you would know the father. Boy, if there's a statement for the hypostatic union, man, it's right there. See, a lot of people don't like these statements that Jesus makes. They, they want to throw out his complete deity. He was just a good guy, a good prophet, taught some good things on how to behave, was a good example. Not that he and the Father are one, even though he says, I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. That's one of those other I am's, by the way. How can that be, they say, because you're only so old? They don't get it. This is, again, if you, you don't know me, you don't know the Father, he says the same thing to him in chapter 7, verse 28. Him you do not know. This is continuing on with this same thing. Now, John, writing his gospel, wants to make sure he reminds us here now. It seems this parenthetical statement in verse 20. Now, these things he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him for his hours as they did not come. He's telling us, here he is again. Remember, in chapter 7, that's one of the problems the crowd had. 
Wait a minute. He claimed to be God before they wanted to kill him. Now here he is teaching in a public place during the Feast of Tabernacles. They're not stopping him. Maybe they think he's the Messiah. And they start talking about, is he prophet? Is he staying the truth? This is still part of that. Okay? So he's reminding us. This is in that same place where he was teaching before. In a public place he's saying these things. And they're not arresting him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. I know, I know these guys were religious leaders who thought they were in charge. <laughs> Sorry, you can try to arrest him if you want. At one point, he'll just disappear and walk through the crowd. Make sure the guards don't do what you sent them to do because his hour had not yet come. Now, the next time when he gets back all the way around another to the Passover, that's different. That's the triumphal entry, and it is his hour. But you guys think you're in charge. John said, John's going, you guys thought, but his hour had not come. You could do what you want. He's going to teach peace publicly, but you're not going to stop him. So he said to them again, remember, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Well, who's your father then? Dresses that. And he again said, I am going away and you will seek me. Now earlier he said, you'll seek me and not find me. Okay? You won't be able to find me. You will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Did you catch that? You will seek me, but you will die in your sin. So what determines that you don't, if you're seeking him, right? Where I am going, you cannot come. Lack the ability to come. Said the same thing in 7, 33 through 36. That's when the Jews go, what? Okay, we can't go if he kills himself because we won't do that because that's a sin. They, they don't want to do that. Right? I, to them, that's a, all right. But Jesus continues his indictment, really doesn't address their statement that he's going to, they're going to kill himself. He continues his indictment. Earlier, you don't know me, and you don't know the Father. Here, you are from below. I am from above. Contrast. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sin. I'm going to ask you a question. Did they have an option then? Yeah, no, no, they still have. No, I'm sorry. When, God, when Jesus says it, it is. All right. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die. Let me tell you why you're dying in your sin. Because you don't believe I'm him. Who him? The guy from Isaiah. You, you don't believe I'm that guy. Because then you get in the whole thing about him being the son, and then you have the suffering Messiah, and they don't want to believe in a suffering Messiah. So we just retranslate that or interpret that another way because it doesn't fit with our presuppositions. So I know you're going to die in your sin because you'd have to believe that I'm he, and you don't. So I know you're going to die in your sin. Next week we'll talk about when they come to a realization when he is, when he lifts up, when, he's lift, when they lift him up, put him on the cross, they'll know who he is then. But they still won't be saved. They'll still die in their sin. Because cognitive, just mental assent of the truth of what happened on the cross and even who Christ is doesn't get you there. 
I'll talk about that more in a moment. Okay? I want you to imagine this if you walked into a church. Let's imagine last week when I was visiting that church. And I walked in there and said to the religious folks, Hey, you guys don't know the Father. You're going to die in your sins. Yeah, that's going to go over really well. That's why the largest church in the United States, the pastor there, won't use the word sin. He mistakes. Okay, stumbles. We won't use the word sin. I just watched a video on that this week. Okay, imagine that. The answer that, now listen, you're of this world, I'm not. Go back to John 3 and 19. The light has come into the world. And people... Loved the darkness. You're of the world. The light is coming to the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light. And the works are evil. Okay? Why don't people turn to Christ? Because they love darkness too much. Plain and simple. So if these guys are going to die in their sin, why is that? Because they love the darkness more than they love the light. In John 3, when Nicodemus, remember, he's one of the guys there now, Jesus had had a conversation similar to this with Nicodemus when he came to him as night. In John 3, John, famous John 3, 16 there, please put it in its context. Unless someone is born from above, now remember, you're of this world, I'm from above. Unless you're born from above, you cannot even see, I threw the word even in, the kingdom of God. It's not you can't enter. You can't even see it unless you're born from above. What has to take place first, seeing it or born? Just saying. Okay? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son and drink His blood, you do not have life in yourselves, John 6, 53. Now he ties all that in with, I'm that guy from Isaiah. It ties him in with that suffering servant, that suffering Messiah. That sounds great. Nice story, Pastor. That, that's interesting. How does it apply? Well, unless. I'll just put it away. Unless. You will die in your sins unless. Unless you believe that Jesus is him. That, that Messiah, even one from the Old Testament, that's pictured in the sacrifice of a lamb at Passover. That's pictured in the scapegoat when it's released. The sins are metaphorically laid upon the hands and released into the wilderness. Unless you believe that he is him. The one who says, I and the Father are one. The one who says he's equal with God. Unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. But our problem is we tend to think belief means I understand and comprehend. Nope. Okay. Now we'll go to John, 1 John, same author, chapter 1, verse 5, many years later. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There isn't any gray. There's no halfway. You can't be light and have darkness. It doesn't go together. Jesus even talks about that, or Paul does when he talks about being unequally yoked. 
Okay. If we have fellowship with him, we walk. So we say, excuse me, we have fellowship with him while we walk, daily live in darkness. We say we believe while our daily life we walk in darkness. We lie. We do not practice the truth. We're going to come up to him. We'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's coming up. You don't practice. Practice. It doesn't say you don't believe the truth. You don't practice the truth. You can say what you want, but faith, not manifested in words, isn't real faith. It's dead faith. The word pistis for faith is the same word. We get the word belief, the Greek word pistis. Okay. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, now watch this, with one another. What? Part of walking in the light is having fellowship one with another. Well, unless the government tells you not to. Did I say that out loud, Alan? Did I? Anyway, that, that's part of it. It's that fellowship that happens as we're united. I mean, the, the, what bound the disciples? A fisherman, a tax collector, a doctor. What, what bound them together? Backgrounds? No, Jesus. That's how they had fellowship. Okay? It was Jesus that bound them together. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. There is proof, there is proof that you're born again. It's walking. It's walking in the light. Now, I'm going to be honest. From outside here, I might not be able to do that. But I'll tell you what, you know if you're lying or not. You know, I believe it because I, because I believe it. I go to church. I mean, I, you know, that's part of the believing thing. You know, I, I open my Bible once in a while when disaster happens. When things get hard, I pray. If you really, really believe, if you put your trust in him, you walk that way. Let me give you an example of walking that way. There was this guy named Jacob. He was running from his brother. Times were tough. His brother, was, he thought, was out to kill him. Having sinned in hundreds. You guys know what I'm talking about. Jacob and Esau. Okay, Jacob's thinking Esau's going to come kill him. He sends his family and everybody else across the river. He stays on the river this night. He can't sleep. In the middle of the night, a man shows up. And the man begins to wrestle with Jacob. Did you notice the way I said that? I didn't say Jacob went and found the guy to wrestle with him. That guy showed up and wrestled with Jacob. That guy changes Jacob's name after a night of wrestling because you have wrestled with God. Ooh, that's a Christophany. That, that's the son manifesting in human form, okay, as a person, wrestles with Jacob and dislocates his hip. He walked the rest of his life like he encountered Jesus. God had to wrestle him. Tell, wait a minute, I can't do this anymore. Okay, right on his hip. It says that he just touched his hip and his hip. And the rest of his life he walked that way. When you truly encounter God, first of all, you were seeking him, but you weren't believing. It's only when he comes and brings that belief, he causes you to be born again. That, but I'll tell you what, you'll walk with a limp the rest of your life. It's going to show. 
When you have an encounter with Jesus Christ and you've been transformed forever, it will show up. Not just when you come in the door and here on Sunday, but when you're sitting there in front of the idiot box, I mean the TV. That's the checkout. We all do that. I check out, you know, trying to watch IndyCar yesterday. All right. So, but, but, boom. Oh, I, I can't watch that. Notice what I said. I didn't say I shouldn't. I said I can't. I can't. The Christ in me just stirs and gets the creepy eebie-jeebies or whatever. I don't know how you want to put it. I can't watch that. Why? Because my life has been radically changed, and that doesn't fit with what's in me. There's no rule. There's no one sitting there watching you, keeping track of what you watch, what you say, what you read, so on. It's Christ in you. You can't do otherwise. And he says, you guys can't come where I'm going. But you know what he says about you and I? Yeah, we can. We'll talk about that at Rocky's Memorial this afternoon. Okay? Have you been radically changed by your encounter or an encounter with Jesus Christ? It's more than head knowledge. It's more than I accept these facts. I agree it's rational. It's historical. Don't argue those points. Okay? But until... You encounter that and you put your faith and trust in him instead of the religious activities that that mental belief causes you to do. It's simply, I trust him to be everything he said he was, to do everything he said he'd do, regardless of who I am, what I do. You, you do know that other famous preacher he always has a book telling you all the I am, so you get to claim all the I am's of scripture. Did you see that? Uh, watch him. I am amazing. I am incredible. I am prosperous. I am healthy. I'm young. No, you're not. But that's another story. I am. I am. How do you do that? How do you steal from the words of Christ and say, oh, that's another story? Have you, have you come to the place where my life has been radically changed? Many people encountered Christ here. He feeds 5,000. He says, you don't really believe. I don't even trust you guys. Heals people, these kind of things. But they don't trust in him for what he really claims to be. They say, your words are hard to accept. You know what? They may be hard to accept, but that's what I got to do. I accept them for what he says. Okay? It is his sacrifice. It is his work that makes my righteousness before the Father. That's why God declares me righteous, not because of me. It's Christ's righteousness is put upon me. We call that justification. He atoned for my sin. I don't atone for my sin. I don't do anything for it. That means feel guilty too. Did I? Well, if I, but if I sin, if I don't feel guilty, aren't I wrong? No, I feel bad that I hurt the one who loves me so much. But I go to him just like my grandson might come to me or one of my children come to me. And Grandpa, I, I spilt the, don't worry about it, baby, I, I've got that. Not, well, you spilt one too many times. I, I guess we're done now. I, you're going to have to find another Grandpa. No. It's in who he is. He is that guy in Scripture, that God who did not give up on Israel, no matter what. No, they gave up on him, I argue that. Right? That didn't give up on David when he committed adultery. 
Didn't give up on Abraham when he lied. Didn't give up on Noah when he got snockered. Isn't that the first thing you do after the world gets flooded? You get off, plant yourself some grace, and get drunk. What? He didn't give up on Adam and Eve. In their nakedness, he killed an animal to cover their nakedness. Come on, come on. He died. It pleased Christ, our God, to crush his own son, to cover the nakedness, our sinfulness. That should boggle your mind for a minute. The guy who said, let there be light, and there was light, but no sun and moon. The only reason the sun and the moon shine because God made it so. He was light without them. I am the light of the world. Well, this doesn't make sense in Genesis to me because all these other things were happening. There was no sun and the moon yet. <laughs> You're missing it. The light of the world isn't the sun and the moon. The light of the world is God. That same God who illuminated the universe because he said so redeemed you and I. Uh, were you with me the other day when I smashed my thumb? When I dropped the coffee and it spilt all over? Were you there? Because I'm telling you, I didn't look very redeemed at the time or sound it. Yeah, but my redemption is not based on me. But I do know this, though. It will show up in how I walk. I don't, I'm going to necessarily tell my father-in-law, but he's 83. And just the other day, he fell. Okay, lost his balance and fell. All right? We all fall in our walk. Because we are broken, weak vessels, like an old man or an old lady. All right? We all do that but we're to walk in his light. When I get out of the bed in the morning, my feet hit the floor, I walk in his light that day. And you heard me tell, it guides my direction. You all have gone camping, I know this. And you go camping, and the lantern you brought didn't work. Anybody, I, I don't, maybe that only happens to me. Back in the day, we had that white gas stuff. You know, now you just have a battery charged thing. But let's say you forgot to charge it. You get out there in the woods, it's pitch dark. You're not doing anything. You're not reading a book. You're not mowing the lawn, whatever, collecting. It's dark. It's the light that guides us. Our light lives by that. It's a daily, ongoing, regular thing. If your Bible's been here at the church for three weeks and you don't know it, You forgot the roadmap, the compass. All right? Jesus saying, guys, you guys don't get it. You have knowledge up to here. You know Scripture inside and out, and you still translate it through your preconceptions so you can't see me as that guy. All right? You're going to die in your sins because you don't believe what I say about myself. Let's stand. Maybe you're here today watching or listening. Say, what do I do now, preacher? Surrender. Because I'm telling you now, you didn't, weren't looking for God to wrestle with him. He chased you down and wrestled with you. He gave you sleepless nights. 
Maybe your family is separated from whatever it looks like for you. He comes to wrestle with you. Just surrender. I quit. I stopped trying to be good by myself. I stopped trying to earn any kind of eternal life. I just surrender to the claim and work of Jesus Christ. I put my trust in Him. If you do that, trust me, you're having an encounter. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you realize your hip's been dislocated. But God will, in His priority, what He thinks is important first, that'll change. Maybe it'll just be attitude. Maybe it'll be words. But if you are truly surrendered to Christ, you will see a change. And I'm going to be frank. So will those around you. They'll go, what's wrong with you? What happened to you? Father, I thank you for your word, for in it comes life. It is the light unto my path, lamp unto my feet. God, I thank you that Jesus spoke clearly, explicitly about who he is. God, I ask for those right now that have struggled with that. They have wrestled with it. God, I pray that you bring them the light that light of life, come into the world, banish the darkness, open their eyes that they might see the glorious wonder of who you claim to be and what you've done. God, for those of us who, who are true believers that have known you, have walked in that light for some time, God, I pray that you cause us to wake up in the morning, putting you at the forefront. that it won't be something we've just been doing. We can get in the habit, oh God, but you would, you would make it again alive unto us. Recognize every decision, every word, every thought is about you. Why? So you would receive the glory. Not me. Not a church. Not a group. Not a religion. You. You're the only one that changes the person from the inside. To you be the glory, I pray. Amen. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.